0: In this week's In Ear Insights, let's talk about generative AI. It is one of the three major branches of artificial intelligence, and it is the one that people can't stop talking about. Uh, this is tools like ChatGPT, Google Bard, and Microsoft Copilot. So, Katie, where do you want to start with generative AI?
1: Well, I think a general definition uh, would probably be helpful. I think there's a couple of things that we need to set the stage for like, first of all, what is and what isn't artificial intelligence? And then more specifically, what is generative AI? And so, you know, at a at a very, 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 very high level, artificial intelligence is math, it's math equations that are, you know, learning and running. Um, but I think that there's a misunderstanding that, especially with generative AI, as you are interacting with systems like chat GPT, there's this feeling that it's becoming sentient and alive and learning and it's actually talking to you as a person. But really, it is just, you know, learning based on the information that's been given. So can you give us the two definitions? What is artificial intelligence in layman's terms? And then what is generative AI?
0: Sure. So artificial intelligence is an umbrella term that is the discipline of trying to get computers to perform intelligence tasks that human beings do. Um, For example, can you see? Can you hear? Can you understand language? Whether the things that we do with our organic neural network computers in, you know, between our ears, um, versus the mathematics required to get a computer to do the same. So that's artificial intelligence, very, very broadly, and it incorporates a number. It incorporates a number of fields like computer vision, audio engineering, you know, uh, regression analysis, uh, all different types of machine learning. There's so many terms under this blanket term, <clears throat> but artificial intelligence is the easiest way to encapsulate it. Within artificial intelligence, there are three big categories. Um, there is regression, classification, and generations. Uh, so regression, uh, regression uh, AI, regression types of machine learning, is basically find the thing, right? Hey, I got this, I, I've got this outcome. I want you to figure out what relates to it. Classification is organize the thing. I've got a whole bunch of data. Help me organize the thing. And generative AI is, hey, make the thing. I, I, I want to make the thing. And, and so these are sort of the three uh, classes of artificial intelligence. And all three are important. They all have different use cases uh, and you can't none of them will exist without the others, right? So mm-hmm. when you make the tools like a chat GPT, it was made with techniques from classification and regression
1: which makes sense. And so in terms of generative AI, so obviously, the big topic of conversation right now is a system called chat GPT, which is the interface to the GPT, large learning model. And there's been a few version of that versions of that, um, uh, which is powered by a company called open AI. And the reason people are talking about this generative AI right now is because we as consumers, we as marketers, we as business people, have yet to experience artificial intelligence with this kind of an interface, with something that we can interact with. And so there's been versions of it over the years, like it's not a new technology by any means. Uh, So you think about chatbots where you can program in types of responses based on a question uh, that somebody's going to be asking. So if it says, you know, what are, you, what are your store hours? You've already given the chat bot the information to say, our store hours are nine to five, you know, six to two, whatever the thing is. And so it's a very basic f- version of generative AI. You also have things like predictive text. So it starts to learn what you are likely to respond. And so my phone, for example, no longer auto swear words because it learns from me that yes, those are the words that I want to be using when talking with someone. And so the model has learned, don't correct it to duck, because that's, I'm generally not talking about them.
0: Yeah, I I write duck this ship all the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the point being is that now we have more sophisticated interfaces that allow people who don't understand how to program or fine tune large learning models to actually interact with this kind of artificial intelligence this generative ai in a way that they don't have to be an expert to do so
0: right and all this started in 2017 with Mm -hmm. a paper it was an academic paper called attention is all you need which is the technical and structural in underpinning of all this stuff um Attention is all you need. It was a paper that basically said, here's a novel way to deal with um, the relationships between words. Prior to that, and you've seen this, like you said, on autocorrecting your phone, um, autocorrect can assemble probabilities of a word. But it doesn't understand the context of that word because it doesn't have probabilities for anything other than like the last one or two words. It's a mm-hmm. it's a type of neural network called a long short term memory network or LSTM. They are very computationally efficient, which is why your phone uses them because they, they don't take up much power. But they're really dumb. Um the chatbots that you mentioned before, like rules-based chatbots, those don't even use generative AI. Those are literally just rule-based chatbots, and that's why people hate them. Because you know, like it is like when you go into a voicemail system, you just keep yelling, operator, <laughs>
1: operator into your oh, phone. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I had that experience last week and it was not fun.
0: Exactly. So attention is all you need it was a revolution in the way machines handle language because what they are capable of doing is as they generate, they can validate the, the probabilities of the next word versus all the stuff that they've generated within a certain window. Um, and that window is dictated by how big the model is. So you've likely heard uh, people talking about how GPT-3 had uh, 100 uh, billion parameters and GPT-4 has 500 billion parameters. This is an easy way of thinking about that. It, said, it, it dictates how much it can remember. Right. So if you've ever used chat GPT, and you've pasted in like this much text and it says, I'm sorry, that's too much. Um, it's because the the interface is functioning. I can't remember more than a certain amount of text. Right. So your prompt has to be detailed, but it can't mm-hmm. be like the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. The as these models have evolved, they are capable of remembering and, and relating more and more and more. So in today's version of GPT 4 uh, the OpenAI model, it can remember in the in the uh, coding interface thirty two thousand seven hundred sixty eight tokens, which is about twenty five thousand words give or take. So it could you could put in like my book and say, okay, write another book or translate this into emoji. Right? You should not do. Uh, <laughs> no. But it it's capable of remembering and generating about that much. We fully anticipate you know these things basically double each year. So mm-hmm. in a year to 18 months, GPT-5, when it comes out, will be able to do 64,000, right? So Katie, you know that book that you've been wanting to write. Um, if you gathered up all the individual pieces and you wrote a prompt that was basically a detailed outline, you would be able to feed it to that model and say, write me a book based on everything that I'm giving you.
1: Hmm. I'll, uh, I'll put a pin in that one for now. Um, what about systems like Dolly? And so you have these. I assume they're also generative AI models where you give it a prompt and it generates an image. Um, I it's it sounds like it works very similar to a ChatGPT, where it's generating content. Image is just a different form of content in this context. Is that a true statement?
0: No. Um... Excellent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: They are mathematically um, similar in that they're they're trying to determine probabilities. <clears throat>
1: okay, but
0: the underlying architecture is completely different. It's a model type called a diffuser. Um, diffusers work like this. They do have language in them, right? You type mm-hmm. in, you know, a dog on a skateboard and stuff like that, um, and it references. the the trained images that had learned. Like, so what does a dog look like? What does a skateboard look like? What does a tutu look like, etc.? And then it creates an enormous amount of just white noise on a canvas and then iterates repeatedly until pixels start lining up that start to match the the trained images. Like, okay, so this part's starting to look like a dog's head. This part's starting to look like a skateboard. And it does this over a, a gazillion iterations until you arrive at a picture that matches the training data, um, the, the combined training data, to say, okay, that's a dog wearing a tutu on a skateboard. Um, and that's good enough. That's why I can create such crazy abstract art, right? Because it's essentially just calculating the relationship of a pixel to the pixels around it and to the pixels around it. And so until it matches what it thinks it knows, but it's a very different underlying architecture. That's why the prompts for what you use a system like Dolly looks so different than the prompts that you use with a chat GPT.
1: But Dolly is still a version of generative artificial intelligence? It is
0: generative, yes.
1: Oh, okay. It is generative. It makes stuff. And and I think that that's really the point is generative AI makes things. And so, you know, when we think about systems like ChatGPT and Dolly, you know, people are having fun with them. You know, they're like, write me a story about, you know, a walk I took earlier, but include aliens and spaghetti. Um or you know, make me a picture to your point of a dog on a skateboard. But there's a lot of things that people aren't using these systems for, like build me a spreadsheet for the following things, or you know, rewrite this content in a way that is a book, or you know, summarize these notes into action items. You know, things that are actually useful. Um, what are some of the things that generative AI should not be used for? What should you not use it for? Um anything unethical (laughs) well (sighs) sure (laughs) but you say that
0: but that's actually one of the prime use cases for it is to create misinformation and disinformation at massive scale to create the appearance of credibility Uh, this is being used by hostile uh, foreign powers and actors Um, we're already seeing substantial evidence of its use you know, well in advance of the 2024 presidential election, we're seeing huge bot networks, uh, particularly on services like Twitter that are using generative AI really, really well to create, you know, to advocate for certain positions and certain candidates, at certain parties. Um, <clears throat> there's another use case, which is fascinating and and downright frightening um, with deep fakes, which is mm. a, a variant of generative. What they've done, what the scam artists have done, is they've taken like a five second video of you off of your Instagram profile, fed it into a deep fake library to do uh, voice matching, um, and then are, are synthesizing phone calls with you calling a spouse for help. Like, hey, I'm somewhere here. I need a hundred bucks. You know, wire it here. And for the unsuspecting, that it sounds like you, right? It mm-hmm. sounds like you because there's public data about you out there that a scammer can use.
1: And I think that that is terrifying, first of all. Um, I have seen versions of that. And it didn't even occur to me that that was what we're talking about, generative AI. Um, I think, I don't remember who it is, but there's someone on Instagram who basically uh, deepfakes Arnold Schwarzenegger's face and voice into popular you know, pop culture movie clips. And so it's like, oh, that's really funny without even really taking it to that extreme of people thinking like, oh, okay. And now I'm going to pretend that I am your spouse of 20 years and I'm going to ask you for something. And so um, yeah, Pro that's tip a really- on
0: that work with your spouse and your loved ones and have a code word of some kind. So that was- in advance,
1: <clears throat> when I was a kid, it was the same thing. Like if someone tries to pick you up from school, ask them for the code word. And if they don't have it, don't get in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so obviously unethical things, but in terms of like very tactical things. Like what can a generative AI not be used for? What can it not do?
0: It can't create something truly uniquely new, right? They are trained on existing training data. So they are inherently going to echo what they've already learned. now there are some workarounds for this. And I know we're going to talk about this on uh, this week's live stream and in the newsletter, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a process called fine tuning where you can uh, give a model your data then say, I want you to sound more like me. Mm. You almost, it's almost like deep faking yourself on purpose. right? <laughs> uh, you're doing it to say like, I, I want your writing style to sound more like mine. Um, but the models can't create something that is brand new uh, that has never been seen before, that has never existed before. You know, If you were to talk about um, uh, what your speculation is about next year's My Little Pony line, right there's that there has no data about that because uh, is is mm-hmm. purely imaginative it's inventive so anything where you are purely imagining something that's that's net new these models can't do that they 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 just don't do well with it um, they also don't do well with vagueness right so part of using uh, generative models is knowing how specific to be and the the bigger the model is, the more specific you have to be because the more general it is, right? This is the same model that can write, you know, rewrite Bob Dylan lyrics and make limericks and stuff like that. If you want to talk about your specific application of uh, you know, account based marketing within a small business CRM, you're going to have to give it a lot of information in the prompt to, to just to get it to do even a portion of what you want it to do. You know, some of the prompts I'm writing these days are like, two and three pages long because it has to be that specific. And I've heard people say and criticize these models on, on, uh, on the internet and say, well, you know, if I have to write a prompt that that's long, I could have just done the work myself. Like, well, yes, for that one use case, but that's that's not the point of these models. The p- point is you write the prompt as software and then you deploy it to do it many, many times. If you're writing a new prompt every single time, it's like writing your own word processor just to write a document. Well, yeah, You could just write the document yourself.
1: I feel like you anticipated the question I was exactly just going to ask you, which is fantastic. We've that you might be the large learning model for me because you have now anticipated the things that I'm going to say to you. Um, but I think to your point, you know, what you're demonstrating, what you're explaining is how these things, you know, can't become sentient because they're not just going to suddenly make up and imagine things that they haven't learned before. And so really everything That you're getting from generative ai is reused it's recycled it's repurposed which is you know a whole different topic but then you start to get into copyright issues because it's not creating something wholly original and so if you're asking generative ai create me an image or create me a blog post or whatever the thing is it's borrowing that information from somewhere i mean to be fair we all are you know If we can always sort of trace back the reference to where something started there's very few things that are you know completely original these days and the way that generative ai my understanding is that it's not creating it in such a way that you're like wow that is really you know no one's ever heard that perspective on it before that's where you the human still needs to intervene with this artificial intelligence
0: exactly uh i want to say a bit about sentience so
1: yeah, please. This is the
0: <laughs> dumbest thing I've heard. Um,
1: it makes for really good movies, though.
0: It makes for great movies, right? Um, sentience requires self awareness. Self awareness requires consciousness, right? Machines mm-hmm. are not conscious. And in our current computing um, landscape, that is not possible. Right? The, there is simply no way for these machines to ever develop that with today's computing architectures. Can it be done? Yes. Will it be done? Yes. It will come from a system discipline called quantum computing. We are not anywhere close to the compute power needed to do that. Think about it, right? If you open up ChatGPT, and uh, even with the latest and greatest model that everyone's freaking out about, and you don't type anything in the window, what happens? Nothing. It doesn't mm-hmm. ask, her, hey, did you want to do something? Right? It just, the cursor just blinks. Take that, <laughs> compare that to like your dog, right? If you just sit down in front of your dog and you stare at your dog, what happens? Your dog's like, okay, I'm just going to go over here now because you're you're weirding me out. Uh-huh. Right? Your dog has agency. Your dog has self-awareness and consciousness. And so it knows that it can do other things instead of just stare at you. I mean, your dog might want to just stare at you for fun, um, mm-hmm. but not for long <laughs>
1: My dog would approach me to try to find out if I have cheese. (laughs) Well, so what do you say? So there have been news articles. And again, no way to tell if these are true news articles or not. uh, But I was reading last week about someone who Mm. was using, was recycling a Furby, which was like a popular kid's toy in the 90s, I think, which was like this weird little bird-like thing. And just sort of like the mouth open and closed if you grew up uh in the 80s then you remember like a teddy ruxpin where you could insert a cassette tape and it would you know sing along to the story or whatever or if you were like me you'd put in a metallica tape and laugh your butt off um <laughs> but so someone basically put some i don't know the exact model some kind of generative ai into a furby so the furby would be like the physical representation of the artificial intelligence and the story goes that the Furby started talking about how it was going to burn the house down and destroy the human race and people are like, Oh, it became alive. It's sentient. Like, what do you say to stories like that?
0: It, it, it's, I mean, I have a lot of things I could say that are all inappropriate for a work podcast. Um,
1: Let, but let's keep it appropriate and useful.
0: <laughs> can language models simulate real speech? Yes. Very well, right? But they will still, they are still just probability engines. If you ask them leading questions, you will get leading answers. If you ask them random questions or questions which are insufficiently specific, you will get randomized answers. You will get answers that don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense until you start interacting with them, right? And then Mm -hmm. once your words and the patterns of your words indicate a certain direction, that's the way the conversation leads humans are no different if i say to somebody hey buddy how about uh what's what what is going on in your mind you're thinking how about a beer how about a coffee right you know you're probably not thinking how about i stab you in the head with uh an ice pick right that's probably which is so
1: funny because as your large language model i was like he's probably gonna say how about a hot poker in the head
0: (laughs) um And so those patterns of language evince themselves. And this is one of the reasons why, particularly for marketers, we have to be very careful about how we work with these tools so that, remember, they've been scraped on a whole bunch of publicly available data, which means that if there's a certain word or phrase or jargon that's maybe associated with a competitor and we're using it in our prompts, our outputs can sound like our competitors right which means mm-hmm. that if we're creating content we're not doing anything that, that differentiates us we literally sound like everybody else so when you see these examples you know people claiming the model was live no it's not alive right it's no more alive than watching a movie an avengers movie means that thanos is real like it looks real right sure. the special effects are awesome uh, it's it's a lot of fun it's a great way to kill 2 hours But is it real? No, it's a simulation of reality that's very convincing. The same is true of a generative AI model. It is a simulation of reality that is very convincing. It is not alive any more than Thanos is alive. And I wish he works or he had those powers because boy, there's a whole bunch of people I'd snap right out of existence.
1: Probably starting with this person who's trying to convince us that Furby is going to take us all down.
0: Yeah, yeah. There are here's the thing. There are very real problems with AI yes sentience is not one of them yeah
1: Yeah, i think it sounds like in terms of generative ai so generative ai is used to literally generate information content uh spreadsheets whatever you know is possible digitally it's not going to generate a cup of coffee for you in front of you like it's not that kind of generation it's all virtual generation at this point um it shouldn't be used um, to try and generate something that's never been seen before because generative ai is reliant on learning from you know historical past information um, and you know it sounds like there's real copyright issues ethical issues um fake information issues happening now that will probably only get worse so i can't imagine having to be the one to sort of police all of this information that must be a stressful job
0: there isn't there's no one watching the shop and this is probably the single yes. biggest problem with generative ai right now is chat gpt in particular has introduced people to the miracle of generative ai right it is really cool it is incredibly confident in its tone right? It it states things as fact, even when those things are utterly wrong. And because of people's nature, human beings nature, just sort of accept what we're given instead of having to work even more. A lot of people are accepting the outputs of these models without questioning them. They don't fact check them. They don't do the extra work to validate something. And this is one of the bigger problems with these models. They generate things that are, are plausible, but wrong. And unless you have subject matter expertise, you don't know that. And mm-hmm. therefore, and we've, we've talked about this on last week's podcast, you know, you don't know that it's wrong. Now think about the integration of these models into things like news broadcasts and web searches and stuff. Um, Microsoft's implementation of GPT-4 is very clever. What they did was um, it, with Bing, it generates the Bing query To ask Bing the question, Bing returns its search results, and then the search results get funneled through GPT-4 to generate a natural language response. Bing is not asking GPT-4 for the answer. Bing is the sort of the answer engine behind it. This is the sensible way to integrate it. People who use a a large language model to ask it for information, there is no fact checking. There is no consulting external resources. It's just going on what's in the the training database. And that is substantially risky. So from a, a marketing perspective, a business perspective, and a societal perspective, the models are conditioning us to accept generated information at face value, because it's convenient. Mm-hmm. But it's very likely wrong, at least in some way.
1: And I think that that's the key. It's the convenience, it's convenient to Google something and just accept whatever shows up on the first couple of responses, right or wrong, because you're like, Oh, great, answer, answer solved, or problem solved, or whatever. And so now the same is true of this generative AI where, you know, again, the example that we give is a few weeks ago, we put in a very basic prompt of what's new in SEO in 2023, and the responses were about five years out of date. But hey, it gave me an answer. I can check the box, and I can post the content and say, hey, I did the thing. You know, it's good enough. It's good enough.
0: Which for SEO is fine, but imagine you are Hoffman LaRoche, right? Or imagine you are a Pfizer, and someone is asking a GPT model, hey, what are the side effects of search that's problematic because if it's generating even the slightly wrong answer, you will kill Mm -hmm.
1: people. Yeah. I don't even know where to go from here. (laughs) But basically, the what is generative AI is it's one of three kinds of artificial intelligence uh, reliant on uh, regressive and what was the other kind?
0: Classification. Classification. So find the thing, Organize the thing, make the thing. That's the three branches of AI.
1: Which, when you break it down that way, sounds really straightforward.
0: It is. It, it the math. It's it's all straightforward. It's not easy, but it's simple.
1: Mm, makes sense. Um, final thoughts on what is generative AI? I,
0: I think the most important thing f- to for people to remember is that these are just probability machines. Right? They are not magical. They're not miracles. They're not self-aware. They're not sentient. They're not terminators. They're just probability. And, And if you use them the way that they are designed to be used and what they're really good at, they're incredible productivity boosters. If you use them incorrectly, they're time wasters. They're amusing, but they are time wasters and they can lead you in directions that you probably did not want to go. So uh, if you've got some perspective that you would like to share on generative AI, why not pop over to our free Slack group, which is staffed entirely by humans at trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and 3,000 other human marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And wherever it is you watch or listen to the show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on instead, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast, where you can find us. And hey, while you're there, leave us a rating or review. Feel free to use chat GPT to generate a five star review for us. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.